0: Hi there. Welcome to the From Lab to Launch podcast by Qualio, where we share inspiring stories from the people on the front lines of life sciences. Tune in and leave inspired to bring your life-saving products to the world. Hey there, everyone. Thanks for listening to From Lab to Launch by Qualio. I'm Kelly, your host, and excited for today's guest. We've done over 60 of these interviews now, and we're in the top 10 of podcasts for life sciences, which we think is pretty cool. We love help getting the word out on the life-changing products and the innovators behind launching them, so please rate the show and share it with your friends who are science nerds just like us. We know you have some. Lastly, check out the show notes if you have a story or a product you want to, uh, to bring on the show. Today, we're talking with Dr. Brian Fengler, the co-founder and chief medical officer of Evidence Care. They provide a clinical decision support system that integrates with a patient's electronic health record to optimize clinician workflows and decision-making. They've had great traction and recently are named one of Inc.'s 5,000 fastest growing companies. It's no wonder why their software helps physicians make smarter decisions in fewer clicks. This may be surprising to you, but many healthcare snap decisions are made after a quick internet search. Evidence Care is embedding industry-leading content right into an EHS for better and faster decision-making, which saves lives. Let's bring him in. Thank you, Dr. Fengler, for joining us today.
1: Absolutely, Kelly. Uh, Happy to be here.
0: So we love talking with doctors who jump into entrepreneurship. Tell us a little bit about your background for those who don't know you.
1: I grew up in uh, upstate New York. My mother was actually a nurse uh, on labor delivery floor. And so I spent a lot of time as a child uh, in the hospital, hanging out, being around, you know, the hospital and medical care and the nurses. And so when I went off to college, you know, I just sort of always had that expectation that I would go into the medical field. And so, you know, as I got into medical school and started looking at different specialties, was immediately drawn to emergency medicine, loved uh, the energy, loved the fact that you could work hard and take care of people, you know, at their most vulnerable when they needed you the most and and actually make an impact and, and be there, uh, you know, for those scary moments a level voice in the room that could think objectively and, uh, and help solve problems and stressful situations. Through my experience in emergency medicine is where I sort of, uh, you know, identified the gap uh, that clinicians feel uh, very, uh, you know, on a daily basis uh, around how it's so hard to apply the right care t- to every patient just because the incidence is evolving so quickly. It changes, uh, you know, every year. Uh, And every patient has their own sort of unique factors that need to go into making, you know, what decision is best for them. And so that really kind of became my passion uh, and and why I ended up co-founding Evidence Care was, was really wanted to help bring information into the physician's and nurse's workflow to help them make better decisions and, you know, help them take better care of their patients.
0: That's a, that's a really fascinating story. That's awesome. I love, I love how excited you are to bring your knowledge into improve the process, too. That's, that's, that's great. Walk us through the current state of things around electronic health records and some care variations that we see there today.
1: Yeah, I think uh, the EHRs are getting better. I think there was uh, a lot of frustration when the mandates first came down. I think there has been a very focused effort over the last few years to help make the clinician's workflow easier, more efficient, reduce clicks, all those things. And I think those are making folks happier and happier with the EHRs. I mean, there's definitely a huge opportunity there. I mean, you know, just 10 years ago, we were using paper and and now we have everything digitized. You can only imagine how much more information there's now becoming available, uh, analytics, insights, machine learning, all those things. Unfortunately, you know, that hasn't all been you know, that benefit hasn't all been realized yet. Um, There still is a lot of care variation, you know, depending on what studies we look at, you know, anywhere from 25 to 40 percent of the care that's delivered to a patient is is not only unnecessary or unwarranted, but uh, could potentially be harmful to the patient. If you're exposing them to medications or or radiation from imaging tests that's not necessary. And I think that's sort of really the next frontier of medicine is, uh, is how do we optimize the care that's most appropriate for each particular patient uh, so that we can not only get them better faster, but reduce complications uh, and of course reduce costs. You know, We don't have uh, infinite resources as we know in healthcare. And so we need to do uh, you know a better job of delivering the right care to each patient.
0: You've experienced the gap in evidence-based information firsthand. Tell us about that story and how it motivated you.
1: Yeah, so sort of the, the genesis story behind evidence care, and I'll, I'll try to be as brief as possible, but uh, sort of a two-part story. When, when I was completing my, my medical training in emergency medicine, a, a patient presented to the hospital where I did my residency at, and uh, the patient had a, a massive blood clot in his lungs. It's called the pulmonary embolism. And at this time, uh, you know, 15 years ago, there was some debate in the literature as to, you know, what's the best care for those patients. And, and after our we felt that this patient warranted receiving clot-busting medicines to try to break up that clot. We were just about to administer uh, that medicine uh, when a whole team of, uh, you know, white coats came down to the ER, and uh, it was the ICU team. And we got in a conversation over the indications for these clot-busting medicines, and uh, that uh, conversation became an argument. And the argument ended with the ICU team going into the patient's room in the emergency room, disconnecting him from the oxygen and the wall monitor, and physically pushing his stretcher out of the emergency room and saying, well, he's our patient now, so we'll make that decision. So. They load the patient up in the elevator, they take him upstairs, and unfortunately, this, this gentleman died five hours later, uh, having never received the clot-busting medicines that you know we, we were going to give him in the emergency room. Uh, and so this became a big case at the hospital. Because of that case, I ended up doing a year of research, and I ended up publishing a protocol in the American Journal of Emergency Medicine for how emergency physicians should be assessing patients with uh, blood clots in their lungs. And, you know, based on that individual patient's uh, indications, determining what the the optimal therapy is for that patient. And so I, I finished my residency and I moved uh, here to Nashville. And uh, second part of the story now, you know, about 10 years ago, I was working uh, one night at the hospital here in Nashville and uh, a young woman presented to the ER with uh, extreme shortness of breath. And And I walked in the room and I had one of those moments as a physician where it just, it, it hit me you know just wow i need to do something fast cuz this this woman is very very sick uh and and the problem is she had a a huge clot sitting between her heart and her lungs and that was bad enough but as it is uh she was also 36 weeks pregnant oh <laughs> and so uh here i am uh, and i'm air quotes here the expert on pulmonary embolism you know published uh the, the protocol and and i'm still at a loss for uh if if what I do for her, how it's going to imba- impact her unborn child. And so I did what actually 86% of doctors do when they have a clinical question, which is I asked the nurse to go uh, prepare that medicine uh, while I ran and found a computer and got on Google and started searching for what happens when you give a pregnant woman these clot-busting medicines. And, and many of doctors and nurses have been there where you can't find the information you need fast enough. The nurse yelled a few minutes to me from the patient's room, you know, I need you in here right now. I go running back into the room, and and the woman is about to go into cardiac arrest. Uh, and so I went up to her and i I said, "Ma'am, you're very sick. You have a large clot sitting between your heart and your lungs. I'm worried your heart could stop at any moment. I'm going to give you this medicine, which is a clot buster, to try to break up that clot and and save your life." Uh, and she looked up at me and she says, "Well, what's the risk to my baby?" And I said, "I don't know." But if I don't save your life, then you know your baby's going to die also. And and so that moment was the genesis of evidence care, and it hit me like, like a truck uh, because I was you know uh, immediately struck with the fact that you know physicians and nurses are making these critical decisions uh, every day, times per day, with a complete lack of information at the bedside to help them make the best decisions for their patients, and that's you know, that's been my passion, you know, and and my mission in creating evidence care was to be a tool that helps bring that information into the physicians and nurses' workflow so that we can help them make the right decision for each patient.
0: How did it turn out for the woman?
1: (laughs) Uh, She did. She did very well. So, yeah, we administered the medicine. You know, she did very well. Uh, The clot actually dissolved they watched her for a week in the intensive care unit and then they uh you know induced labor and uh she has a healthy baby boy i get pictures on my phone every uh every year or so from her and uh you know everything went very well good good yeah <laughs>
0: what a what an amazing story and and certainly can see that sort of outcome you know feeding your passion here for sure so out of that You've managed to build one of the fastest-growing healthcare tech companies in the U.S. Despite the state of our economy, how do you go about hiring talent and building a quality culture in that setting?
1: Yeah, I think you know we, uh, like any company, you know had had you know our concerns at the beginning of COVID and worried whether we were going to make it through. Uh, as many companies worried, we were very fortunate. Uh, to make it through, you know, the first phases of COVID, you know, one of the things we've really focused on over the last few years is, is company culture. We had a new, uh, CEO come in, you know, Bo Bartholomew, who's, who's just amazing person, amazing leader and, and really leaned in, uh, e- even more than almost felt comfortable from the perspective of building culture, highlighting values, you know, and, and that has just, you know, played itself out over the last two years to, you know while many companies have lost key employees, you know can't find good employees to you know to bring on to the team for the skill sets that they need, you know we've kept our whole team intact, we've been go out been able to go out and hire and bring on you know new fresh talent all because we built a company culture that you know people want to work for, people are excited, and uh you know it's just sort of start it sounds so basic and easy and simple, but not enough companies are are. Taking the time to slow down and and prioritize those things, and I really believe that that has contributed to our success over the last few years.
0: Sounds like it. So, how do you see this technology evolving in the next few years?
1: Yeah, we're we're very excited. Um, you know, we're 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 just now after three to four years of working on it. You know, getting the depth of EHR integrations that are needed to to really. Uh, be integrated into the physicians and nurses workflow in a way that when they're using our applications, they don't even know that they're using a third-party application. They just think they're using their EHR and, and really helping to make their workflow more efficient, you know, which is what what they want to do. They, uh, they're they frustrated with how many clicks they need to make per day. Uh, they're fr- They feel like the, you know, the electronic health records are sort of holding them back and keeping them from their patients. And so first and foremost, we want to improve their efficiency, make their job easier. And then at the same time, if we can help deliver to them, you know, the care that is most appropriate for that patient, well, then we're helping them take better care of their patient and, uh, you know, just sort of completes the circle there. In terms of where we see the product evolving, you know, we're we're doing all the, you know, machine learning and AI with our applications, pulling in patient data, delivering clinical insights you know they even go beyond the speed of of the published evidence being able to keep up and so we're we're very excited about all of that and it and it all starts at the physician and nurse's level of of making their efficiency better, making their job easier while helping them deliver better patient care.
0: Yeah, the thing that's sort of trotting around in my brain at the moment too is is from the company perspective the pharmaceutical or medical device companies. Yeah. What an amazing, you know, cuz one of the things of course we have to do in industry around post market surveillance and all that kind of activity, but also kind of keeping an eye out on whether it's expanded indications or, you know, patient outcome data. We don't always mm-hmm. we don't always have great feedback loops for that kind of information. So it sure seems like you guys are uniquely positioned you know, to, to provide some important insights back to the manufacturers of the blood clot dissolver, yep. for example. Right. And, and that sort of thing. So is there any sort of plans for the future? Cause I know we can also sort of start to tread a little into like, is this clinical study activity or not? Yep. What what does that boundary look like for you guys? And how about the future of that sort of partnership to make that information more available?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, we think there's a huge opportunity and you know again depending on what studies you look at the studies show that it takes some say 7 to 10 years some say up to 17 years for knowledge to get translated into the physician's you know mindset and and applied to their patients you know it used to be that pharmaceutical companies could sponsor conferences and it, it, you know uh take the physicians out to dinner but now that a lot of those activities are being limited and so we really do see that, you know, embedded applications are going to be the way that we can deliver evidence-based guidelines to the providers. And it just so happens that sometimes those guidelines include, you know, these newer therapeutics uh, devices and 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 pharmaceuticals that have been proven to have better patient outcomes, lower costs, but the physicians are still practicing what they learned 10 to 20 years ago. Yeah, exactly. So they're still putting patients on Coumadin, you know, and they're not, they're not using the new, uh, you know, oral anticoagulants and, and things like that. And so there, there is so much opportunity for industry to partner with, you know, the medical societies and also vendors to help get this clinical evidence into the physician's workflow, into the nurse's workflow. And and not through the perspective of bias and more expensive things, but evidence-supported, medical society, uh, you know, vetted, uh, you know, proper treatment of your patients based on the latest evidence.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I just, man, I just see this huge potential for that. Mm-hmm. Uh all right. Well, to kind of switch switch gears a little bit here, if you could go back to the start of your career, what would you tell yourself based on what you know now?
1: It's going to take you 10 times longer and you're going to need 10 times more capital than you than you expect.
0: That's <laughs> uh um, yeah, it's always more time and money, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yes. I I mean as as a physician entrepreneur and you know for all the entrepreneurs out there you know, when you're raising, you know, your first seed round and, and you just say, you know, if, if I just, if I had a million dollars, like I could, I could create this whole thing. It's going to be, you know, change the whole universe. It's, you know, and then <laughs> you, you go through your first million like, like that. And and then <laughs> next thing you know, it's 10, 20. And, and it's like, you know, geez, I, I, I wish upfront, we knew how much it was going to cost and how much time it would take because we would have, had a different plan and approach for first three to four years of that company. I mean, I felt like I was raising money, you know, 80, 90% of what I was doing was raising money. And that was taking away from our speed to market, our product development, our strategic alliances and 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 client, you know, results. And if I went back and and I am counseling, you know, entrepreneurs now in the Nashville market. And, you know, I, I look at their one or two year projections. And I'm like, nope, it's going to (laughs) cost, it's going to cost way more than that. You know, if you're going to do it, do it, do it right. You know, so that you're not looking over your shoulder every, every month worried about, you know, Hey, we got to go raise more capital.
0: Definitely. Yeah. I spent a good bit of time doing quality systems in the startup space. And I've seen that so many times it it is, it will always be uh, more expensive and a lot longer than you think. Yeah. So, a fun question. We had another guest on our show and I just love this question, so now we're asking it all the time. Uh if if I walked into a Barnes and Noble bookstore, where would I find you in that store?
1: So you would find me in the coffee shop. My wife, you know, used to joke with me. She, b- before I had evidence care and I was uh, just a physician, you know, if I had a day off, I would say, I'm going to the office. And she knew that meant I was going to Barnes and Noble. And I would go pull the, you know, the Kiplingers and the uh, the Fortune magazine. And I'd, I'd pull all the business magazines, money magazine, and, you know, I'd sit there for a couple hours and uh, read all the finance magazines and, and have a cup of coffee.
0: Nice, nice. So, where can folks go to connect with you and follow along with Evidence Care's progress?
1: So, uh, myself and, and my team are very active on LinkedIn. You know, also go to our website. Uh, I think uh, evidence.care Care slash Info uh, is is the right place to start on our website to to learn more about what we do. So, yeah, thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity today.
0: Thank you for your time. It's been uh, yeah. it's been fascinating learning about what you guys are doing. Look forward to seeing more. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of From Lab to Launch, brought to you by Qualio. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give the show a positive review. It really helps us out. For more information about Qualio, our guest today, or to be a guest on a future episode, please refer to the show notes. Until next time.